Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for today. We give you praise. Bless you for all that you've done so far. For all that you've ministered unto us. For all that you've said to us. Lord, we thank you because we know that you're in our midst. Thank you because we know that you're here, present. Lord, I pray that as we go into your word today, that you teach us by yourself. That your spirit saturate us. That we have understanding that you give us wisdom to practice and to partake of the things that we will share of today in Jesus' name. But I speak to every heart and I rebuke every distraction. I rebuke every spirit of distraction. I rebuke every worry. I rebuke every anxiety. Everything that is present in any heart that would keep them away from what you have for them today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. Today we are going to be speaking on a topic that I have titled Understanding the Nature of Life. Understanding the Nature of Life. When we are born into this world, there's a period that we have called the period of innocence when we have no guile, when we have no fear, when we have no inhibitions. The period when you grow as a baby and you become a child. Where essentially, depending on whatever your background is, generally speaking, Life is at your beck and call. Because for a baby, for a one-year-old, for a two-year-old, I have a couple of people that are I know who gave birth last, I think last year. And I see pictures and videos of their children. And that period of life is very fascinating to watch as an adult. Because they have no care in this world. They are the presidents of the house, the governors and chairmen and chairwomen of the places that they live in. Because everything is at their beck and call. They have no concept of putting the needs of others before their own or consideration for other people. I was speaking to one of them and I think her birthday was in August and... We're just talking that morning, and what she told me is like, it's her birthday, but it's not her birthday, Shah, because the girl has, the child has no concept of whose day it is. Every day is her day. (laughs) So, you still have to wake up in the midnight when the baby is crying that she wants something. When the baby goes to bed is when you go to bed. When you wake up, the baby wakes you up. So she said, well, it's my birthday, but it's not really my day. The president of this house (laughs) is the one that is dictating what we are doing today. That's the period of innocence. That's a period where you don't start asking questions. But the time will come in the life of a man or a woman where they start to question the nature of life. They start to question exactly what life is about, especially as it pertains to their own existence. This might come in the form of what will I become? This might come in the form of why do I exist? It can come in various ways. 
But ultimately, it will come at some point. And the book of Ephesians chapter 1 shows us about three to four things about life that is central to every human being. And those are the things that we're going to talk about today. We're going to be reading from verse 3 to 14. I read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ himself, to himself, according to the pleasure of his goodwill, verse 6, to the praise and glory of his grace, wherein he had made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he had abounded towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he had proposed in himself. That is the dispensation of the fullness of times he might that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things, after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of of his glory. Amen. There are people who will tell you that Ephesians is probably the best epistle that Paul wrote. And sometimes when I read through Ephesians, I can see why. It's not my favorite epistle on a personal level, but I definitely see why because it's loaded with a lot of things. There are three major angles or aspects I want us to look at today that are very, very obvious in these few verses we read that apply to us, but it might not be clear for us to see. The first thing is this. It's all God's doing and God's will. If you want to understand the nature of life, you have to approach standpoint that it is what? It is God's doing and it is God's will. You see, the thing is that man is overly concerned about what we are doing. Throughout history and human race, or the history of the human race rather, 
we've been particularly concerned with what doing. What is man doing? What have we done in the area of technology? What have we done in the area of science? What have we done in the area of medicine? What have we done in the area of entertainment? What is happening in the world today in the area of politics? What is happening in the world in the area of what rulership and governance? What has happened throughout history? Colonization, slave trade, independence. Now we're independent, now democracy. Man is overly concerned about what they are doing without realizing the fact that behind visible history is unseen history. There is something that is happening that you cannot see throughout the way the world has become what it has become today. Behind secular history or normal history, there is spiritual because the world is following a certain timetable that has been orchestrated by who? God himself. And you cannot understand life if you do not first come from the perspective that it is God who is what? Doing things. That he is totally and completely aware of exactly what is going on in this world down to what is happening in your life. We have to know this. And that's why this first, first chapter of Ephesians does not start from anybody's perspective except who? God. It starts with what? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen. And if you keep reading down to about verse 11, it does not say anything of any other person's actions, except the actions of who? God. Making you understand that the origin, the source, the place of understanding the only way to process anything that is life is to process it from the standpoint that what God has a purpose. There is something that he wants to do. And you can personalize that too. When you think about yourself, if you want to understand and really get to the nature of your own life, you have to start from the standpoint that God has something that he's trying to do with you. If not, you will never figure out your life. You can try. It will lead to frustration. If it doesn't start from him, and there's nothing. Let's turn to verse 10. Because verse 10, in some way, is the entire summary of the, the entire book of Ephesians. And it captures the purpose of this book and the purpose of existence. It tells us exactly what God is trying to do. Verse 10 says what? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven 
and which are on earth, even in him. The spiritual calendar of God, the unseen history that you are not seeing, that is playing out throughout humanity, the unseen program of God for this world and for the people that live in it, is that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, everything will be brought under the subjection of who? Of Christ. And no matter what you see going on physically in this world, that is where it will end. It's an assurance that the Bible has given you that that's where we are going. The only question is, what side of that history will you be on when it happens? The question is not whether it's going to happen or not. The question is, where will I be? On whose side will I be on? Will I be united with Christ? Or will I be one of those who are separated from him? The Bible is so beautiful. And Christianity, the reason why we say it's beyond the religion or just an organized system of practice rules is because nothing else in the whole world is able to totally and completely let us know how the story ends. Except the word of God, except in this belief system that we call Christianity, except in this lifestyle, nothing else can give to any human being how the story ends. People don't know. There are people practicing various religions today. They cannot tell you they know how the story is going to end. At best, they have a set of systemized rules that basically give them how they should live for now, that they are following. But they cannot tell you that, okay, when I die, this is what is going to happen. This is what is waiting for us at the end of existence. Nobody else can tell you that except God. And he has revealed it already. He has shown us countless times, not just in this verse, the very end of the story. And the reason why he's telling us this is primarily for this first reason giving you about the nature of life. It's for us to realize that you cannot understand life if you don't start from him. You have to check and question your alliance with him. Because everything that he has said will happen. It's going to happen. Irrespective of how it looks. The second thing is that it is for the praise of his glory. It is for the what? The praise of his glory. And we have this particular phrase expressed twice or thrice in this passage. From verse 5 to 6, he says what? Having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glory, of the glory of his grace, wherein he had made us accepted in the beloved. 
when you get to verse 9, he will still tell you again that having made known unto us the mystery of his real, according to his what? His good pleasure, again, which he had proposed in himself. And if you go down to verse 12, that we should be to the what? To the praise of his glory. Who first trusted in Christ? Nobody can take glory from God. No being in existence can take a glory from God. That is one thing that God does not share with us. He has given us his spirit. He has given us numerous blessings. He has given us so many promises that we can access. But you see, his glory doesn't share it. That is not for us. It is the one thing that is solely for him. So if you want to understand life, you have to understand that when you read through some stories, when you see some things happen in scripture, that humanly speaking, you will find to be ridiculous. And you see the end result and you see that God was trying to bring something out of it. Because that glory, it must go to him. He must always prove himself. So Lazarus had to die. And he had to have been dead for four days. Humanly speaking, I can't tell you why. I don't know. But how you would know that it is to the glory of God is when you read to the end of that account, when you see the reaction of the people and who they ended up praising. Daniel had to be thrown in the lion's den. Why? He didn't do anything wrong. The king knew he didn't do anything wrong. But the king had been bamboozled into a decree that would directly affect Daniel's life. What was God doing there? He was watching. Because God knew that at the end of that story, when Daniel is brought out of the den, the king will do what? He will make a decree and say, in this land, nobody should serve any other God except the God of who? Of Daniel. That is the reason why Daniel had to go through that experience. And when we understand life from the point of view that God has to take glory. He does everything for the praise of his glory. When you start to look at your own life, you would see things very differently. You will now start to question yourself and ask whether the things that are happening in your life make people around you actually give God glory. Whether your life is aligned to God in such a way that the glory goes to him. The three Hebrew boys. What happened to them? They had to pass through fire. For what? The glory of God. Because God would always do things for the praise of his glory. And even 
our reconciliation unto Christ, like we've read here, is for who? It's for him. Like we were talking about a little bit in, in the Sunday school. The problem with Christianity when it comes to man is that true Christianity makes man nothing. And we want to be something so desperately that we cannot just receive or accept a message that totally and completely makes you nothing. Because you don't get to take the credits for your salvation. You don't get to take the credits for any good thing that happens to you. You never get to take the credits. It's never because of you. And as human beings, we cannot take that. That's the problem that people have with true Christianity. Because on some level, we want whatever good that happens to us, we want to be able to share in, oh yes, like I did this now. Like my hand is inside. Well, it can't work. Because to understand life, we have to know that what everything is to the praise of his glory. And when we get that, it will change how we see life and it will change how we see our own. The third reason, or the third thing, which is probably the most important thing, is that it is all in, through, and by Jesus Christ. It is all in Jesus Christ. It is all in Jesus Christ. It is all by Jesus Christ. Every single thing that God wants to do, every single thing that he wants to make known on this earth, every single thing that he wants to do in existence is to be what? Brought under who? Jesus Christ. He's the center of the story. He's the hero of the book. He's the protagonist. I'm sorry, it's not you. If your life was a novel, you're not the main character. The main character is Jesus. If your life was a movie, you're not the hero. The hero is Jesus. As Christians, we have to get this into us. Because it will change how you see yourself. It will change life for you. Isn't it terrible or weird by human standards for it to truly be the book of your life but you are not the main character in that book? That's what we can't take as people. Because it's your life, right? So why are you, why are you supporting cast in your own story? <laughs> it's not easy. You know when you watch movies sometimes and after they finished mentioning all the main heroes, like at the end credits, they'll first talk about the main, main people in the movie. Then you now see like a long list of supporting cast. You'll not even see their names well. If you want to find anybody there, you have to actually pause and say, oh, yes. So like people that are upcoming or coming up in like Hollywood or Nollywood, that's where they start from most times. You find out that some people that we know today were all 
one movie like that, you never knew they existed then, but now you know them very well. It's difficult for someone to tell you that you are what? Supporting cast in your own movie. It's not easy. But that's the narrative of the Christian life. That's the nature of life. And it's something that we have to accept. Because it's actually for our own good. Because if you go through history, all the people that, which is why when we read about the Old Testament and we see like in the book of Hebrews, when the writer of Hebrews was speaking and saying that they were all expecting this time that we are living in. That the prophets of old, the heroes of old, the kings of old, like they wished that be a part of what we have today. Do you know why? Because even the best of them that were heroes in their own story, what happened to them? They didn't have Jesus. Solomon was the richest and wisest man on earth. Look at his story. When it became about him, he did nonsense. The moments that David, his story were about, was about him, he did nonsense. He made mistakes in those moments. Look at them. Saul, they tried their best. But they didn't have the Holy Spirit like you have him. They don't have Jesus inside them the way you do. How they wish that they could live in this time. With the great things that David did, do you know how great David would have been if he was a New Testament believer? And I had the Spirit of God inside him. Just think about it. Because everything he did, he did without the Holy Spirit. As if there was somebody inside him speaking to him. All the things that he wrote, when the Spirit came upon him to inspire him to write, the Spirit was not in him. It was on him. Imagine if he had the Holy Spirit in him. Imagine if Daniel had the Holy Spirit in him. We are not the heroes of the story. We are not the main character. Jesus is the focal point. Between this verse 3 and verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, Christ is mentioned 15 times. And the writer of this book, Paul, he's not doing this thing just because he feels like doing it. The reason why he keeps mentioning Christ is because we, he knows that we human beings, we have the tendency to forget. At different points in your life, even as a Christian, you have the tendency to forget that you are not the main character. Even with all your speaking in tongues and coming to church. Because it's a human frailty to want to make it about you. So the writer keeps writing Christ repeatedly. You will not go to two or three verses. You will have mentioned Jesus Christ again. Reminding you constantly that it's not about you. Every blessing that is written here, every promise, everything that you are meant to receive is from him. Keeps reminding you that 
God is the one doing it, but he's doing it through Jesus. He's doing it in Jesus. He's doing it by Jesus. So the disciples of John came to John with worry. Like, this guy is taking your shine, and you're the one that anointed him. You're the one that announced him, and he's taking your shine. And John said that what? I have to decrease so that he would what? Increase. And the interesting thing is that the, the scripture tells us that it wasn't even Jesus that was baptizing people. It was Jesus' disciples that were baptizing people in water. Because Jesus did not come to baptize you in water. <laughs> he came to baptize you what? In the Holy Spirit. So the scripture tells us that Jesus' disciples were baptizing with water. And John's disciples saw them. And John's disciples were like, these guys, these people are trying to collect your... <laughs> The only thing that you are known for. <laughs> they are trying to do is better than you. And John said, no, I have to decrease. Like, this is the plan. I have to decrease so that he can increase. And in a very interesting way, that should be our lives once we accept Jesus. Everything that is self in us has to what? Decrease so that Christ himself can increase. If not, you will not surrender to him. You might have accepted him. But if Jesus does not become the focal point of your life, then you've not started. And he has to be the focal point of your life. He has to be in him. It has to be through him. It has to be by him. So these three things, as we close today, are things that I want you to take with you through this Christian life and walk. You interact with people that go to church and say they are Christians. But if you sense or you see that in the lives of the people around you, Jesus is not the center of it. Yes, they might have a form of religion. They might have a church that they are going. But Jesus is not at the center of their lives. Or they have no concept of what it means to give God glory. Or when they talk about this world or talk about this life. All they talk about is what man is doing. And not what God is doing. Then it's an opportunity for you, not just through speech, but through the example that you live your life with. To show them that there is another way. Because they would never figure it out the way they are going. Nobody ever does. Amen. As we close, I end with this. I think I've given this example before, but I'll give it again. There is no day that I happen to be in a car with my classmates, like my master's classmates, that we don't talk about Nigeria. It's just natural. When I'm alone, it doesn't happen. But when we're coming back from school or we're on our way to school and we're going for like our evening classes, Nigeria must come up somehow. Because everybody is coming from different places, different walks of life. And somebody has probably experienced something that day. Same thing, oh my God, where are we going in this country? So every single time we're in a car, we must speak about this country. And it becomes a conversation and they have varying opinions because they are varying people. And the conclusion is, man, we don't even know. So some people, there's someone that actually tells me that the only thing that can save Nigeria is rapture. 
He says car. Says it and he's very serious about it. And when it's time for my own opinion, what I tell them is Nigeria will be good. Like things are going to be well with this country. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm younger than most of them. So they look at me with this whole, I've not seen anything. Maybe it's because I'm still young. And I'm like, no. It'll be good. And I'll tell them, I don't have any logic. I'm not disagreeing with anything you people have said. I don't have any way to explain to you that it will be good, but I know it will. Why do I know? Because there is unseen history and there is visible history. I am not looking at what I can see. I am looking at what God is doing on the background. And it is from that standpoint that I am saying what Nigeria would be good. And the interesting thing is the more these conversations, the conclusion of those conversations started to change little by little. At first, it was like only rapture will save us, or nothing can ever change. But slowly, maybe because of my presence in the car, I don't know, slowly, when they finish all their complaints and have ranted about their days or their weeks, they usually will end by saying, well, like, God will help us, yeah. Let's just <laughs> and it might not seem like there's a difference, but there is. Because somehow, because somebody that is around them has kept bringing into the equation the existence of a God and his plan, without even knowing, they are being made to acknowledge it. And trust me, that's the first step. Because if there was no God, it's lost. Amen. Let's rise up.